Now we start today, though, with BC's under pressure emergency response system failed to meet the demands during the recent deadly heat wave. The BC government announcing yesterday they are shaking up emergency health services in the province over growing concerns about slow response times following that historic and deadly heat wave. Health Minister Adrian Dix yesterday announcing a new position. We got a BC chief ambulance officer now. Uh, the province also funding 85 new full-time paramedics in the province. I got Troy Clifford standing by. He's the president of the paramedics of BC. First, have a listen to Adrian Dix here, the health minister, yesterday. I know that our emergency service staff are feeling overwhelmed and frustrated, whether it's helping people with COVID, the toxic drug supply crisis, or the heat wave. Their every action is motivated by a commitment to provide support and care for all of us. It's time for us to do a better job providing support and care for them. I'm directing BC Emergency Health Services to take immediate action to support workers. Okay, immediate action there on the emergency response system in our province. Let's check in now with Troy Clifford, President of the Ambulance Paramedics of BC, and I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Troy, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Mike, for having me on again. Okay, what did you think of this announcement yesterday? Is this what you wanted to hear? Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it goes a long way. And the clip you just played really, uh, you know, resonates with me and I know all our paramedics that, that we've been heard, um, that the public's been heard. Um, and it, uh, you know, he acknowledged uh, the struggles that they've been facing on the front lines and they're damaged, they're hurt, they're frustrated, they're angry. And uh, to actually be heard um, and acknowledged in that way, I don't know if I've ever heard that uh, significant of real of an acknowledgement from a, from a health minister or a leader in, in the way that he uh, spoke to it there. Okay, what about this bureaucratic shakeup that, you know, they're bringing in, um, they're announcing a new board here. Let me play this clip here for you, the minister, and just get your take on that. Uh, health yeah. Minister Adrian Dix announcing an, a new board yesterday. Have a listen. To ensure the direct leadership of ambulance services, I'm reconstituting the BC Emergency Health Services Board of Directors to focus solely on ambulance services. The board will be directly accountable to me with a clear mandate to ensure better service for patients and families who rely on the service and better supports for workers who deliver the service. Chairing the board, and I'm very proud to announce this today and he's here with us today, will be Jim Chu, the former Chief Constable of the Vancouver Police Department. Okay, Jim Chu, the former Vancouver Police Chief there, uh, appointed to the head of this board and the ambulance service. Uh, your thoughts? Right. Yeah, so I, I think that what he's done uh, through this uh, announcement is he put a structure in place that uh, I'm optimistic will allow us to get back to, uh, you know, our former identity as a sole public service, public safety, healthcare, frontline uh, emergency service. And, and that's the focus, I think, by putting a person that uh, understands the, uh, the needs of the public is in the way that Jim Chu ha is in that board and this board that's solely responsible with oversight of of sort of look first of all looking at the ambulance service and reconstituting what uh, what we are what we're we're all about and that sort of goes yeah. back to our original roots when we were a commission but we're still a, a sole what he's saying is we're going to be a sole entity governed by a board that's totally responsible for administration and oversight of the ambulance service oper and operationalizing the things that really have been identified as shortfalls and then with the appointment of a, a new um, chief ambulance officer that acknowledges sort of that role and structure that we fit in and he, he talked about accountability and reporting structure 
that takes away a lot of those overlapping frustrations and, and challenges we've seen in, in, in lost in a health authority. So I think the structure he's put in place is it's how time will tell. And uh, yeah, he fills in the rest of the board how that will play out. But I, I think yeah. what we've done is uh, really put a structure in place that will allow us to move forward with as an ambulance service. And I had a great opportunity to talk to Jim Chu last night, and his vision and uh, commitment is is encouraging for us. And uh, he knows intimately what paramedics do on the streets and dispatchers right. do. So he brings that wealth of uh, experience uh, that uh, is positive for us, I think. Yeah, no, Jim Chu has been uh, a guest on this show in the past, and he certainly is a respected former police chief in the city of Vancouver. And all the frontline first responders are under stress here, as you know, like not just the paramedics, but firefighters, police officers as well, are all feeling the pressure and the stress. So I thought it was interesting that you he the minister brings in a very senior first responder as the head of this new board, this new service. And, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that you find that encouraging. But at the end of the day, for the public, Troy, will they get their ambulance quicker? I mean, what's the bottom line here? I mean, for the public, it's kind of, well, they put in a new board. So what? Does it mean my ambulance is going to get here quicker now? Yeah, and that's, the, the, you know, that's what I, I, he acknowledges expectations. So that's the question, right? And he's putting in 85 new staff into metro and urban uh, area, 30 new dispatchers, those will add influxes into the well-needed high-call volume areas that we've been seeing shortfall. But we still have our out-of-service levels. We still have increased call volume. He talked about 1,711, which is the post-call uh, volume days that we're seeing on Monday. Um, Pre-COVID, it was around 1,500. And, and it sounds like that is the norm now um, for expectations of ambulance response. So we have to adjust to those. And he talked about the... Uh, 8.59 and uh, in the critical calls, the reds and purples. So will that go what far is that? Enough? What does that mean? So what he's referencing there is that in our critical calls, the red and purple calls, the highest of acuity emergency calls, right. um, the objective in, in a national benchmark is 8.59 minutes. You need to get to a 90 percentile of all those calls um, in, in a, in a, in eight, within 8.59 minutes. And we haven't been meeting that threshold uh, in BC and particularly in the lower mainland. Um, so that's what he's acknowledged is so that's where the matrix is uh, need to be assessed to where we, where we get to, to determine how many more ambulances or how many ambulances we need to meet those thresholds to get those patients in a timely fashion. So that's a longer term assessment. And that's what he said to this board. He expects them to come back with recommendations on how to improve the ambulance service going forward in a three year plan. But right. what, to go to your question, what? How will I get an ambulance to a patient tomorrow or today? Right. That's what people want to hear, and that's where the impacts are, and that's where I was encouraged by his comments. And even Jim Chu last night, and Leanne Heppel, I'll be meeting with her today. Is how can we implement some of those discussions and recommendations we've been putting forward, as you know, for a while, to immediately impact and bolster the the, the staff so that we can respond now. Well, we get time to put these new resources in place. Because okay. Okay. When he announced yesterday they're going to hire 85 new paramedics, I mean, is this new money that he's put on the table? Is this in addition to the paramedics they, they said they were already hiring? Like, you know, he had yes. said earlier, oh, we're, we're trying to hire. We've got all kinds of jo hundreds of jobs posted. Uh, we're hiring paramedics. Then yesterday he says, well, we're hiring 85 more paramedics. 
Is this new money that he put on to hire even more paramedics than they were planning to hire before? Is that what the deal is? Absolutely. This is 85 okay. above all the previous announcements. It's 30 new full-time dispatchers, right. um, whether that be in Vancouver or our other two centers in Victoria or uh, Camus, um, where they're going to be allocated. He said the majority of the 85 will be in Metro and Fraser Valley. Some may go, uh, up to 10 may go to Camus and Cloner, the higher, bigger urban centers that we're seeing challenges with. He's purchasing two new am- 22 new ambulances um, over and above what we already have announced and that. Um, and then the, the fourth announcement is in rural and remote communities, those 22 rural communities, the higher-end rural communities um, around the province that we've been recommending shouldn't go to that on-call model. Um, he's recommending by October six of those communities, which we're still working through the, which communities they will be, um, will be converted to full-time 24-hour ambulances as opposed to on-call, scheduled on-call model. This is, yeah, the, the on-call model is where you've got paramedics sitting around getting two bucks an hour to be on-call, correct? Absolutely. So yeah. this is an improvement on what is previous announcement of uh, that we negotiated last contract, and that's the 500 numbers that they've been talking about. Those are conversions of previous of staff already. These okay. 85 new positions are added positions, which is a big difference to converting um, what we've been talking about. So, so those 22 communities are primarily around the province and in the higher call volume rural communities like Revelstoke and Golden and Kimberley and Burns Lake and Vanderhoof. So to give examples um, of those type of communities. So that's really going to impact those communities. Okay, Troy, you've been really speaking out forcefully on this, and I, I think you're, you're a big reason why we saw a result here uh, from government yesterday. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you. Sorry, I've got lots to tell you, but, uh, you know, I think you got the point. I think we're uncautiously optimistic, and I'm encouraged okay. that we've been heard, um, and we've still got a lot of work to do. And I committed to the minister that I would do everything in my power to support these announcements, and I asked for a commitment that they were going to continue to listen and work with us, and he made that commitment. So that's uh, really uh, a And the quick reaction in two weeks to get this done, Mike, is, uh, is really, uh, I've never seen that kind of reaction to a media. And that goes to his commitment to patients, because they can't wait. Oh, I certainly agree with you. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you. Have a great day, Mike. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the B.C. wildfire threat now. Still a dangerous situation in the B.C. interior, as you just heard on your news there. Communities under evacuation alert. And we've seen the devastating consequences to human life and property from these fires. But what about the threat to agriculture, farms, and especially cattle ranches? Cattle ranching is a large industry in our province. And when we took, take a look back at the impact of previous wildfire seasons, it's been brutal on cattle ranches. You take a look at 2017, 2018, thousands of cattle lost, hundreds of kilometers of, of fencing burned, up to $70 million in lost capital and revenue just in 2017 alone. This year could be even worse and cattle ranchers in British Columbia are worried about that. They're looking for help. Let's check in with Kevin Boone now. He is the general manager of the BC Cattlemen's Association. Kevin, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate it. Appreciate it a lot. Can you tell uh, tell the listeners just how big is the cattle ranching sector in, in BC? Well, the cattle ranching is is the big part of our industry here. We're uh, the cow calf is what really, which is the basic. Uh, uh, start of it is is uh, employs uh, a vast amount of people out here in the interior, keeps the rural 
economy running, us and logging are, are two of the major ones out here. Uh, basically, uh, we're also the guys that are able to utilize those those mountains. Other provinces will grow crops. We grow cattle and uh, livestock, and it, it's a it's a about a, you know a, a billion dollars uh, of, wow. of overall between the direct and the indirect inputs. Uh, the actual GP you know gross is uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about four hundred million uh, in there. Okay, that's big. I think it's bigger than a lot of people realize. How many heads of heads of cattle are in the province? Like, how many animals are there? Uh, there's about uh, five hundred and fifty thousand head of wow. cattle uh, and calves out there right now, total. Okay, what is the threat of these wildfires to cattle ranching operations in the province right now? Yeah, so it's huge. Um, that's their home for the summer is out there. So it's uh, eating up uh, our feed out there, but it's also killing our cattle. We're having uh, several reports right now coming in of cattle lost, uh, injured, uh, hurt uh, in there. And, and it's not just the feed for uh, that they're eating right now. It's our winter feed is well out there. Um, kind of looking at this fire event that's happening now is uh, 2017 on steroids. Um, the wow. conditions are, you know, we're, we're two, three weeks earlier than 2017 with these fires. The cattle typically are a real uh, bonus to firefighting because they get in there and they graze that grass and reduce those fine fuels. Because it started so early, they haven't had a chance to uh, eat that down, so there's more fuel available and making it much more volatile. Uh, so it, it's, wow. it, it's a huge, huge impact to uh, these guys, and they're trying to pull the cattle out of the way, but they uh, dryness and that heat event has, has parched it, and so the volatility, they're moving much quicker and spreading much uh, wider than what we saw in previous fires. Okay, how how many cattle have been killed in the fires this year? You know, it, it, I can't even give an estimate of that because a lot of those cattle just aren't coming back in, and so in in certain cases we've found some remains, but we can't get into those fires to find out, and we don't want our guys going into a fire to find them. They're they got to work yeah. on the outside. Cattle are, are, are reasonably smart where they find the areas, the riparian areas, the areas where the aspen trees are growing, where the fires don't really go. It's the smoke and, and everything that kill them first. So it's, oh. uh, you know, it, 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 could be, it could be huge. It might not be as bad as we think, but we know we're losing them. Okay, that is really heartbreaking and tragic to, to, to ponder that. And when you look back at previous wildfire seasons, you mentioned 2017, which was particularly bad. And I was, I was looking at a report on that this morning. It estimated 2,000 cattle in 2017 were lost, which is just horrible. And also over 1,000 kilometers of fencing uh, burned up, rangeland fencing, private fencing. How much of an impact does that have on cattle operations when you're, you know, you're losing livestock, you're losing fencing? It's, it's devastating. And in fact, you know, when you consider the fact that a lot of these fires are uh, taking place in the same place that they did back in 2017, a lot of the uh, range that was burnt back then, we have just been able to get onto this year because there was three years where they held our cattle off of it. 
So if we are faced with another three years, some of these guys are not going to be in business tomorrow sort of deal. Like there's guys that are going to go out. Uh, we have a, a huge um, risk of losing uh, a major portion of our industry to it because they've rebuilt once and can they do it again? And have they got the energy to redo it and the resources and money to do it? Uh, you look wow. at those fences, uh, it costs us close to, you know, between fifteen and $20,000 a kilometer to build a fence. And uh, we need them to manage and control these cattle. And, and right. it's, it is devastating. There's water resources. And let's not forget the timber out there. Even though um, the, the timber uh, is, is a big resource for the economy, we need it on there to environmentally hold some of this land in its place. We're going to be faced the same way we were before with landslides and with different aspects that come as a result. And so this is another big part of our fear out there is, is wow. what is happening environmentally into the land base by allowing it to continue to burn. Uh, terrible. Wow, that's a terrible picture you're painting there. You mentioned water. Does wildfire, does that affect water supplies for the animals? Um, it does, and, yeah. and it's compounded this year by that heat wave where... Uh, the quality of water is affected. Heat creates um, a, a system within our waters that creates a blue-green algae, and blue-green algae is a poison to our cattle and, and wildlife out there, and we're faced with a quality of water. Plus, there's a, a lot of water gets used for firefighting, and that deplenishes it. And just the fact of this heat that we're going through, you know, we're at uh, you know, 30, 35 today. That would be hot on a given year. That right now is feeling cool to us compared to what we had. So the evaporation levels out there um, are, are huge. We've got some good supplies of stored water, but we need it for other purposes as well. There's our cattle, there's growing the hay crops, but that's very also um, impactful for fish migration later in the fall where we can release some of this water for fish spawning and for their habitat. So a lot of this is going to have some determining factors later on in the season to other things other than just our cattle and agriculture. Well, speaking to Kevin Boone, BC Cattlemen's Association, about the wildfire threat to cattle ranching in British Columbia. Okay, very dire and difficult situation for sure. Kevin, what do you guys need? I mean, you're looking for help? Yeah, you know, um, there, there's a couple things in this, Mike. Um, number one, we've we've made some strides uh, since 2017, where we're working very closely with BC Wildfire Service, and 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 we've been invited into their command centers and working with the incident commanders, which is extremely helpful for us to try and get these cattle out of harm's way, and they have been extremely cooperative. When I talk to BC Wildfire Service, though. Their resources are, are depleted. Um, they have every man on the line, every piece of equipment, but the, you, when you get 25 new fires every day, you can't keep up. And they're basically faced right now with a situation where they can uh, protect human life and trying to protect infrastructure, but fighting the fire is almost beyond them. So we need more resources. That's compounded by normally... We would get help from, you know, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, uh, other countries that have the ability. We can't get them in this year. And my understanding is COVID uh, restrictions are stopping us from bringing them in. 
Uh, other provinces, wow. likewise, the drought is there. We need help for them. Uh, we think that uh, government needs to relax on some of the conditions that are there for some of our logging industry participants and our ranchers to be able to get out there and get on the front lines and help. These guys know what they're doing. Uh, we need to have some leniency there. Uh, we also need to, and, and this is imperative for rebuild and for restructuring, we need a state of emergency uh, declared uh, here in the province uh, so that we can um, access some of this recovery funds and stuff in the future. And we need to, and I know this isn't going to sit well with the tourist industry and stuff, we need that backcountry shut down. We need to get people out and we need to keep it, it, it free for uh, firefighting and for wildfire service and for us to uh, work out there. The more out there, the bigger the risk and the economic impact, not just to our industry, but to mining, to forestry. We're cutting out jobs in the future for every acre that burns. And this has to be understood. I don't think people really understand how dire it is out there right now. We're probably in the worst natural disaster in a lot of ways that we've ever seen in this province, in my opinion. Well, okay, the call for an emergency declaration. Last question for you, Ken. You've seen a provincial government seems to have been resistant so far to declaring that state of emergency. So you're saying they should do that because it, what, it would help you leverage relief money right now? Yeah, it's going to help us, uh, not just provincially, but federally. It's going to, I think, open some doors. I don't know all the criteria around it. I know it very much helped us in 2017. I think that we are in a disaster, and that realization uh, is there uh, for it. But I think that it opens some doors for both our provincial government, uh, but for our producers and for uh, other industries out there, uh, you know, it, we've seen what happened in Lytton, uh, and, yeah. you know, i got to take my hat off to the firefighters out there in especially that fire. There's, there's a lot of those firefighters that are up on that mountain and, and out on there fighting that lost their homes in Lytton, and they continue to fight. And this wow. is the same with the ranchers and the, the loggers out there, and so... Uh, it, it is a state of emergency. Let's declare it and let's move forward on that premise so that we know where we're at. Kevin Boone, thank you for your time today. I hope there are better days ahead. Let's hope we get some rain and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, six inches of rain uh, would be great. Uh, yeah. But probably we're looking at snow before we get a lot of these out. So. Oh, boy. Okay. Thanks for coming on. Anytime, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. we got a fantastic final hour of the program coming up for you. Concluding at the bottom of this hour, Coyotes on the Loose in Stanley Park. The public being warned yesterday, use the park at your own risk after a string of coyote attacks. The latest involved an attack on a two-year-old girl. And officials now warning the public, visit Stanley Park at your own risk. Okay, quick update for you on that last night. Uh... Officials captured and euthanized four coyotes in Stanley Park. We'll get the latest for you on that. That's coming up at the bottom of this hour. But first, we start with one of the most annoying noise sources in the city. Can you guess what it is? Let's find out with Mario Canseco, pollster with a Research Company. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Mario, thanks a lot for coming on. My pleasure, Mike. Great to be here. Okay, Mario, 
Let's talk about noise pollution in the city and what you found out with your latest poll on this. And I'm talking specifically about gas-powered leaf blowers. This is number one on the hit list with people who don't like noise in the city, right? What did you find out? Well, it's been a major issue for the past couple of years. When we asked the Canadians about noises that were bothering them at home, uh, landscaping equipment was uh, near the top of the list. And we need to remember as well that there's a lot of people who are working from home because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So they're noticing this type of situation more. When we ask BC residents about this, uh, there's 38% who support their municipality enacting a bylaw that would ban the use of gas-powered leaf blowers. Uh, but we have 40% who are uh, not in favor of this course of action. So it's essentially a split, uh, but wow. there definitely seems to be more support in the metro areas than in other parts of BC. Okay, you talk about, wow, split down the middle there. It seems like half half the population is anti-leaf blower and the other is not not so much. Have any, to your knowledge, have any municipalities actually banned gas-powered leaf blowers? It hasn't happened yet. Uh, there's a couple of ideas uh, floating around uh, in Vancouver Island, one in Nanaimo. Uh, here in Vancouver, there's a couple of very similar proposals that were put forward by two councillors from different political parties. Sarah Kirby Young, who is now an independent, and Adrian Carr from the Greens, and they're essentially asking the same thing. You know, figuring out a way to stop this from happening. Uh, some of the ideas are related to noise pollution, but it's also related to air pollution. The fact that you have these machines uh, which are making things uncomfortable for residents who are nearby, not only because of the noise that they create, but also because of the fumes that they emit. Okay, what about gas-powered lawnmowers? What did you find out about that? Well, the level of support for a ban on uh, gas-powered lawnmowers is actually lower, 34% who believe that this should be uh, the right way to go, 44% who do not want to see this happen. And what's interesting about this one is there seems to be a generational divide. Younger British Columbians are more likely to say, let's just use an electric machine or a real uh, lawnmower. Uh, And you have the over 55s who are saying, I'm not going to get rid of my gas-powered lawnmower anytime soon. Okay, what about electric... uh gas lawnmowers or electric leaf blowers is there more public acceptance of those there is definitely more public acceptance of everything that is electric Uh, we see 48 percent of british colombians who are opposed to uh, forbidding the use of electric leaf blowers and 53 percent who are against banning electric lawnmowers so one thing is the noise when you add the noise to the actual pollution that they create in, in the air this is one of the reasons for the gas-powered uh, landscaping equipment uh, to be more contentious than when we see what, with everything that is electric. Mario, fascinating findings as always. Thanks a lot for jumping on. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. Anytime. Okay. Appreciate that. That's Mario Canseco Research Company. Uh, gas-powered leaf blowers. Some people love them. Some people think they're a nuisance. The poll finding it's pretty much split down the middle of people who want them banned or continued to be allowed. When you take a look at some of the regulations, particularly in the city of Vancouver, leaf blowers are allowed, but there are some rules there about how and when they can be used. Let's check in with our producer, Sarah Hyde, now, who's been looking into this issue. Sarah, thanks for jumping on here. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So this is an interesting issue. I know you've been doing some research on it. What did you find out? Yeah, so I had no idea there were rules about leaf blowers. I guess I probably assumed you weren't allowed to use them in the middle of the night. But there's actually all sorts of rules about when you can use them in Vancouver proper. Uh, so Monday to Friday, it's 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. 
Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So it's like a little abridged, hopefully so it doesn't wake up anybody, you know, sleeping in on the weekend. And then Sundays, you're actually not allowed to use them at all. Wow. So you can't use a gas-powered leaf blower on Sunday. I should say, too, this is within 50 kilometers of a residence. So this is talking about more in, like, densely populated streets. The rules are different when you get beyond that. Okay, interesting. What about the West End? There's some different rules there, right? Yeah, you're not allowed to use them in the West End. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. It's actually pretty highly regulated. And uh, like Mario mentioned, the city of Vancouver does have these two proposals to also uh, look at having them just banned in general, phasing them out kind of by 2025. And I will say the Vancouver Park Board actually is phasing out their two-stroke tools, so their really loud gas ones, by 2024. So already working towards that. Okay, have any municipalities actually banned these gas-powered leaf blowers? Yes, one in the States. L.A. has banned the use of gas-powered leaf blowers. They did it wow. way back in 1998. And interestingly there, so you can be fined if you're using one, but you can also be fined if you've hired someone who's using one. Wow, okay, so a $100 fine in Los Angeles for using a yes. gas-powered leaf blower there. That's interesting. Some municipalities taking a look at a ban here, right? Uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of municipalities. So I mentioned Vancouver. It's also being looked at in Saanich, Nanaimo. Um, it's definitely something that uh, enough people are really annoyed by this and enough constituents talk about it that it's being looked at kind of all over B.C., Okay, let's have a listen to this, Sarah, and get your thoughts. This is Larry <laughs> Will. He is a leaf blower specialist with Echo Quiet Leaf Blowers, and you'll hear him explain here why leaf blowers are so annoying to so many people. Have a listen. When I talk about sound quality, I'm talking about frequency, really. Harley-Davidson motorcycles are very loud, but most people don't mind. And the reason is it's a very low-pitched, guttural type of sound. But a leaf blower, unfortunately, at least historically in the past, has a fan with 10 blades and it's spinning past the cutoff point in the scroll. And each time that blade goes by, it makes a popping sound. Now you run that at 6,000 RPM times 10 blades and what you have is a scream. And they hear that scream and they're, and they're saying, God, that's what irritates me. But they don't realize it's the scream. They think it's too loud. Okay, well, there you go. There's an explanation of why some people find these leaf blowers very annoying. Sarah, what do you think? When you hear these in your neighborhood, does it bother you? I'm gonna, I love that he calls it the scream. The I scream. think that, yeah. that, is, that, is, that is what it is. I don't mind them that much personally just because they're not on for really long periods of time. Uh, the landscaping companies in the neighborhood use them a lot, but I will say that my almost two-year-old daughter detests them. Mm. Yeah, I got She thinks I, they're very scary. Yeah, well, I kind of don't blame her, you know, when you're two years old. <laughs> okay, let's have Especially a Especially if it sounds like a scream. Like, okay. if you're two years old and all of a sudden you hear a scream, terrifying. Okay, well, we got a little leaf blower sound here. Let's have a listen to it and see if it sounds like a scream. Let's have a listen here. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I mean, you, you can see why some people would find them annoying if that's running next to you. I don't know. I'm kind of the same way as you, though, Sarah. In my own thought, I thought, well... 
I don't know. Is it really that big a deal? I mean, people are running them usually for what? I don't know, 20 minutes or half an hour or something, and then it's over. But I suppose if you got a lot of them running in your hood at the same time, it can really, you know, become a chorus of it, right? I think that also you have to consider that there's a lot of people that don't necessarily have like a nine to five schedule. And so if you're a shift worker or something, you're trying to sleep in the daytime, having one of these, you know, start up in the lawn next to you is a big deal. If you have young children and they're napping, again, it can be something where it's disrupting sleep. Like they are pretty loud. Um, And obviously it doesn't matter if it's only for a short time. If it's woken you up, you know, you're up. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Sarah, for your deep dive on that. Appreciate it. No worries. I'm an expert now.